1: For more information, visit HeritageFoodsUSA.com.
2: Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more.
1: Hello, Greenhorns. This is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers, and today we're talking about The Music of the Future and the Past, with Brian DeWan. Hello, Brian.
2: Hi, Severin.
1: How's it going over there?
2: Oh, it's going pretty good. It's hot, but it's summer.
1: (laughs) One of the things that's so wonderful about you, Brian, is you always give a fully dimensional perspective. Um, Sometimes you get described as a transmedia artist, and I don't know if you feel good about that or not, but maybe you could just describe a little bit about what you do.
2: Sure. Well, I mean, that's one way to look at it. Um, uh, Yeah, I I do a bunch of miscellaneous things, which doesn't seem remarkable if you aren't thinking categorically. But in the end, it's always a combination of um, you know, visual art or music in some way. Uh, so I'd like to write songs and uh, accompany myself with either an accordion or an electric zither or an auto harp or other stuff. Uh, and I'd like to write songs, but I also like to collect songs, or what I will refer to as historical material, which really can mean anything anything that ever happened. So usually, historical material means something from whatever you consider the past or uh, even more to the point before you were born. But of course, there could be a big gap in people's experiences. And when was the time
1: I'm with before you. you
2: were born? But when you go to the time whenever you were born, and if you go poking around before that time... You know, we find the artifacts and the testimony of people who came before us for the, the previous generation, the generation before that, and so on, down the line. And it gives us a chance to peer into their lives or concerns or humor. And I also and like so to make film strips that used to be shown in uh, grade schools. It was a popular format, which is now extinct, but many people still remember uh, hand-cranked projectors that showed still images. Uh, So that's a combination of drawings and writing and music, and kind of a cheap, cinematic experience.
1: Um, How did you get started? in this wacky, wonderful, wandering world that you have made?
2: <laughs> well, when I thought about how I really got into song or songs, uh, partly, you know, one, one thing that was a big influence was going to a 4-H camp where I learned a lot of wonderful songs. A song called "Dunderbeck." was one of those, which I later discovered is originally a Swedish folk song. Um, What are some of the other ones? I remember there was a religious song called Follow the Gleam, which I think was written in the 1920s. There was a kind of a satirical song called National Embalming School, which was sung to the tune of Oh Christmas Tree. Uh, And we would sing these songs... I also had a a fourth-grade teacher who taught the class a number of songs, which included the song Charlie on the MTA, which is an old favorite, uh, which then I later found out was actually written to be a campaign song for a Boston mayoral candidate in 1948. And then later the Kingston Trio recorded it in the 50s and had a hit with it. Uh, And then also when I was about 12 years old, I heard Tom Lehrer records for the first time and thrilled to those records. So
1: all of those songs are unified in that they're embedded in a set of intentions and um, institutions where they have a life and they have a drive and they're, they're pushing in some way um, up against the world and I wonder what kinds of contemporary songs are being created that have that same kind of energy or or if there's not
2: well I'm sure there are uh, although I don't know too many contemporary songs that would fit that description but I'll bet they're out there and we haven't bumped into them yet but given some time we will well there was that wonderful song that uh we had both independently stumbled into on youtube the milk the cow's rap by lil zim which was probably done well it was certainly done in this century <laughs> although i don't remember if it's you know 6 years old or 7 years old or something like that but uh that's a song from the not too distant past that I really got a kick out of that you might call a kind of a grassroots song. So it's funny to me now that we live in an era where there is a kind of folk television. I remember when YouTube was a new thing. I was fascinated by the fact that you could look at all kinds of things you could never possibly see before, namely, amateur video or people's family home video that was posted up. Well, there's no way that you could ever look through a family's personal stuff like that and how people stick it up there. Well,
1: and then that you could learn it from the video and play it on your auto harp and we could record it in a green hall, and then press it in a vinyl record and then it would get delivered to your door <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> That's a contemporary experience.
2: It's like the steadfast tin soldier who's set down the gutter in a paper boat, goes to sea, and is swallowed by a fish, and the fish is caught and cut open and served at the dinner table at the house where he departed from to begin with.
1: So because we're leading up into sail freight time and this big voyage that you're going to greet, yeah. I hope in Boston yeah. when we arrive all in one piece and with no soggy cargo.
2: <laughs> I thought
1: maybe we could talk a little bit about the intention of bringing these songs from the 1870s into the earballs of the contemporary agrarians. And maybe having just sung them all and re- typed the lyrics and then listen to them three times on the master, you might have some themes to share about what those 1870s songs from the Grange populist moment were dealing with and what devices they used um, within the song structure to get the message across.
2: Yes, well, there are some that are rousing numbers um, you know, there was that song Onward Marching as well as the Farmer's March and songs that were meant to energize for action and words that uh, proclaimed the dignity of the farmer and uh, sometimes songs that would, you know, talk about uh, things that they thought of as as ills, namely monopolies. They were trying to protect themselves against some of the rousing energetic ones in that fashion um and then of course social singing was such an important part of the organization and such a great way for people to commune uh you know in a day before any kind of modern communication even before people had telephones um uh, you know in, in a domestic setting people would get together and sing and uh There were a number of songs, too, that are are just about inspiring joy and spreading joy, like the song Merrily Sing. Uh, It's almost self-referential. You know, a song about how wonderful music is, what a treasure it is, and how singing the song is meant to induce a kind of euphoria and well-being. Then there was another category of song you know, that is the song of plain advice, sound advice, uh, do not mortgage the farm uh, being one of them, or be content with the world, which is more of a philosophical one. A lot of songs about, they really kind of offer simple advice about how to be happy and how not to be discouraged or to, to be vulnerable, to be brought down, and how to be lifted up. And to commune with others. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to think of how a much earlier generation than ours might have even looked back at those and, and been dismissive of them as old fashioned or corny or preachy or other such things. But these would seem now to be themselves the concerns and criticisms of an earlier time when that does not really give offense. Now, and it's interesting to see something so plain and straightforward and lucid in the words. So there's the sea songs, too, and uh, I was intrigued by this project of having songs of both land and sea, and the cooperation between the farmer and the mariner and as I looked into sea songs I, I was looking less for the, the shanties and the work songs which are very well known but specifically for things having to do with, with uh, you know getting food from the sea, harvesting food from the sea whether it be fish or seaweed or sponges or whatever there is. And uh, interesting to find a whole span of songs, including the song from the Bahamas, Sponge Your Money, which is about uh, harvesting sea sponges off of the sea floor, and uh, about how you could make better money doing that than other forms of employment, such as working in a cigar factory, I think that song actually does date back to the 19th century certainly that industry was active then uh, you know in the mid 19th century or early mid 19th century uh, and then there was the uh, this wonderful song the squid jigging ground which dates from the 1920s uh, which is a very detailed and humorous story then uh, a song by a Maine lobster fisherman named Dixon DeVore II, who wrote a song called Rum-de-dum-dum, pour me some rum, a contemporary song, contemporary meaning mid-1980s, uh, about his life as a lobster fisherman. Uh, and he wrote a few songs like that. So there there is a nice span in some of them. Uh, and what era they come from?
1: Well, we are going to be able to put all these songs onto the podcast of a Greenhorn's Radio, and the the Ocean ones we haven't recorded them yet. Well, we just recorded two of them, but the Grange ones are all available now on archive.org. Which, by the way, has an incredible amount of songs, and then also the vinyl record that we just made, and we're going to deliver it from Maine to Boston. We just ordered the um, we just ordered this battery-powered Victrola-type thingy. I mean, it's a it's a record player wow. that is battery-operated, so we can use it off grid.
2: That's great.
1: Anywho. I'm pretty excited about that.
2: Yeah, you'll have a phonograph you can use wherever you go. So that's exciting, and I'm excited about the performances uh, in Boston. That will be a delightful thing to do, and I assume we're doing that outdoors.
1: Yeah, we're going to do it in this pavilion that's at the end of the Long Wharf, which Uh is slightly contentious because there's people who want to turn it into a restaurant. So it's another contestation of public or of private or of public space. And um, that's always fun to get up in the middle of controversy about our commons. But Long Wharf is a very long wharf, so we can be loud.
2: (laughs) Well, so right now it's public land and... There's an effort to turn it into
1: private land? There is an effort to turn that pavilion into a private restaurant. Ah. And, you know, while we're totally okay, I mean, it's cool for people to eat and everything, but one question we're having as we're approaching the logistics of disembarking with a whole bunch of cargo and, food, you know, food stuff, Is the missing infrastructure on the waterfront as the waterfront has become a space for yachts and condos in Boston and that the like artisan scale schooner scale infrastructure is totally absent so we're doing a lot of like makeshift warehousing (laughs) it's fun
2: so when you say a restaurant, do you mean that's some plan for the future, or do you mean when we are there, somebody is going to try to open a restaurant there while we're trying to use it?
1: Oh, I think, uh, no, we, we Greenhorns are not going to open a restaurant, <laughs> although we will no. open a couple of restaurants spontaneously. Uh, in the process of this adventure, we have uh, historic lectures and fancy dinner parties Um, August 4th is on the Piscataqua River on a boat called the Piscataqua, and that's a gundalo-type boat that was involved in the river trade. And then on the Kennebec River, we have, like, a beer training, uh, training about local food sovereignty policy uh, Uh in Maine. And then in Boston we have—or in Portland we have a dinner party at the working uh, waterfront down at Portland Gas Services with a chef called David Levy, who's from Finland, who is obsessively local. He doesn't even use black pepper or olive oil. But he's, he's made, he's agreed to use the ingredients that we deliver to him by boat. Um, and all of those are fancy dinner parties that are designed to um, create an economy around the sailboat. 'Cause basically it's a lot more expensive to ship by sale, as you could imagine. I I suspect that we're gonna run out of time and I wanted to just throw you a softball without any direction to it and say, Brian, um what's your impression of these as somebody who collects songs and is engaged in the study of culture, what's your impression of this? young farmers' movement. Do you think that it's legit?
2: <laughs> well, I don't see what could not be legit about it. I mean, if, if you want to farm, you can farm. So what's to argue with that about? I also think it's interesting that young people are interested in farming in a way that was not common at an earlier time, and perhaps, you know, a lot of people were, especially if they, you know, didn't grow up with farming, you know, and don't really know the ropes or know what it entails, that it could be intimidating and it's hard work and and, uh, and can even be risky financially depending on how things go. But I think it's great. And as also, when you're a farmer, you're your own boss and so there is the satisfaction of having autonomy uh that you can be running your own endeavor as opposed to being employed by some much larger scale organization but uh you know i think it's great that younger people are interested in farming and also because many people have a you know a notion of farming that is Kind of a cartoon or a stereotype, people expand their association of what they think farming is, or what kind of people farm, and you know, there's just such a variety of of ways to do it or dispositions that you can have. Uh, So I think it's very creative that you know people re-examine these things and and set aside confining uh, thoughts about what things are just like in any subject you know we think we know what it is until we delve further deeper into it and then a much wider world opens up and it's, it's more complicated or it's not what you think so I think that's a terrific development
1: so I guess we're gonna say sign off and come along in person and meet Brian and listen to the song in person at the waterfront and help us carry the cargo and get comfortable with the grayscale, baby.
2: Hey, what's the address for people to find it?
1: Oh, it's Long Wharf in Boston, Boston Harbor, and then the wharf in Portland is next to Becky's diner. It's called Portland Yacht Services. Just, it's just next to the Gulf of Maine Research Center. Very nice.
2: All right. Well, terrific talking to you.
1: Big hug to you, Brian.
2: Okay. See you later.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network.